All right, hello and uh, welcome in to a Tuesday, I guess afternoon in this case, edition of Connor and Coverage. I am pre-recording this. We are not going to be taking live questions tonight on YouTube, but it is airing live at 8 p.m. I guess, though I should stop using the word live as it is not that. This is pre-taped, knocking this out Tuesday afternoon, a little bit busy later tonight, no usual recording time, but still plenty of Georgia stuff out there we want to talk about. Unfortunately, we won't be taking any questions tonight, but... We'll go maybe even a little bit longer next Tuesday with questions, comments, maybe build the whole show out of that. That seems like a terrible idea, but why not? Uh, my name is Connor Riley. We are here talking the latest Georgia football news, coverage, recruiting notes, the whole nine yards, or I guess 10 yards, or I guess really college football is a hundred yards field, so I don't know why nine yards ever became a phrase, so to speak. But anyway, for rambling on too long, as I already have, we're going to talk, and that's a dog you hear in the background. We're going to talk a little bit about Tyke Smith uh, today. He finished up his time at West Virginia, and later this month, he will be arriving at the University of Georgia. It'll be a big boost to that Georgia defensive backfield. We're going to talk about what Georgia really needs from him, more so than what he needs from the University of Georgia. We're going to preview all SEC teams here a little bit. I saw earlier this week, uh, 247 comes out with the top 10 players in the conference. So we're sort of going to build off of that and guys who we think can fit in a potential all SEC roles, at least to start the season, and maybe by the end of the season you see a couple more guys on that list. And then to round things out tonight, we're going to talk about the transfer portal because there was obviously the big dust-up with Justin Ross over the weekend and sort of explain, a helpful explainer going forward of how to follow that, how to pay attention, and how to essentially not have what happened Saturday or Sunday night, excuse me, where a few people start tweeting, hey, Justin Ross might be transferring. Turns out that is wildly not the case. He comes out on Monday and tweets that's not it. So we're going to walk you through, for at least from my perspective, how to sort of follow the transfer portal news and information and what really to make of it when there is potential news that comes out. And sometimes it might be fake like we saw with the Justin Ross stuff. But without further ado, let's get into our first topic of the night. What Georgia needs from Tyke Smith. On Monday afternoon, Smith himself sent out a tweet saying... Finished his last semester at West Virginia with a 3.2 GPA. Pretty impressive. Can't wait to get to UGA, and I think that's great news for the University of Georgia. Smith is a guy who is set to arrive in May and is going to be, I think, a very big part of this defensive backfield. I think especially with the major Burns news of him hitting the transfer portal, I think Tyke Smith has a chance to be, even before the Burns news, a really important piece to this Georgia defense. And, you know, Kirby Swan, he got asked about Tyke Smith when he first transferred at the beginning of April, and he wasn't sure how much he could say, but I thought what Smart had to say at large about the Georgia defensive backfield and the quote I'm going to play you guys says a lot about what Georgia really needs from Smith here. So this is smart from early April, right after Tyke had announced he was transferring to Georgia. I'm not even sure if I'm allowed to comment or not. I think I may be able to, but rather than <laughs> I would yeah. not, so I'll just use that as my, my reason for not answering it. But the DBs are um, coming along, and um, we got we got a long way to go, but we're getting there. You know, it's, I haven't seen any regress. That's the good thing. But if we're on a one-mile journey, you know, we're, we, we, we just hit the first quarter. And uh, we, we've got, you know, a ways to go. We've got to figure out who it is. We've had guys at that position dinged up who haven't been able to practice. And we're already thin and we're already young. And when you miss practice time, that's hard. And uh, we're trying to grow those guys up. Um, we're in constant search of our best uh, lineup. I will say this. Every one of them wants to get better, and every one of them is trying to get better. And we've had flashes of some good plays. Um, but consistently, 
we have to improve. We have to improve with consistency in the secondary. That starts with tackling, starts with eye control. It's not just the corners. Um, it's the safeties as well and, and communication. So all those things are critical, and you know, we're not where we need to be. But I didn't expect it to be right now. I mean, we we, we got a ways to go. So, yeah, I sort of hear Smart talking generalities there about what it really needs from Smith. But I think the big thing to me from that clip that I played right there that jumps out is just the experience, the game experience that Tyke Smith is going to bring to this Georgia defensive backfield. He comes in with, I believe, 22 career starts coming from his time at West Virginia. Now, obviously, the Big 12 isn't the same thing as the SEC, but it's still a Power 5 starter, a guy who has earned 13 All-American honors in his time at West Virginia. That's, quite frankly, a lot better than what Georgia has. Yes, Lewisine, I think, is a promising young player, but he's not quite at Smith's level yet. Chris Smith showed some nice things towards the end of last season. But this is the first time he's really going to enter the fall as a full-time starter as the guy there in the, at the safety position. And then your cornerback position, you have no starting experience what to speak of on the roster at this point in time. So Smith has been through some wars. He's seen some elite passing offenses. You think to the couple of Oklahoma teams that they've played. Brock Purdy in Iowa State is a really good player. Sam Entlinger at Texas as well in recent seasons. So while, yes, he hasn't seen the size, speed, and physicality at an SEC level, I do think that Tyke Smith does bring some much-needed experience to this Georgia defense, and it'll be interesting to sort of see the passing offenses that Georgia sees this year. I think other than Clemson, Georgia might not really see a dynamic passing offense over the course of the regular season this year. And so because of that, I think that does maybe play a little bit into the advantage of having a green secondary. So it'll be... Really, I think, interesting to see what Smith ends up doing. But the other big thing that Smith brings, and I think more importantly from an an actual playing perspective, is that Tyke Smith brings playmaking skills. He has interceptions, fumble recoveries, tackles for loss, sacks. That's something right now that no defensive back on Georgia's roster on the 2020 that that was here in 2020 can say. Lewisine did not have an interception last season. Chris Smith did not have an interception last season. Obviously, Keely Ringo, Jalen Kimber, those guys didn't play at all. Nylon Green, we didn't even get a chance to see him in the in the uh, spring game there. As he was, it is believed that he was battling COVID. So all those young players, we haven't gotten a chance to see what they can do. Can they make plays? And I think you can point to last year, specifically, obviously, the Florida game, where when Richard LeCount went out, Georgia did not have another playmaker in that back end who could go and force fumbles, create havoc, turnovers, etc. And so not having that really hurt that Georgia defense during the back half of the season. I think you even look at that Mississippi State game as well where they were just content to just throw the ball over the middle because they knew that Georgia wasn't going to have the playmakers there to disrupt the passing lanes sort of like Smith did at West Virginia. Now, Lewisine did have an interception in that spring game, and I think that's something where if he's going to make the leap that a lot of people expect him to to you know potentially be a player going through the NFL draft process this time next year, He's someone who's really going to need to make more plays. And so that's an unknown. It was another unknown in the Georgia secondary. So by bringing in Smith, that's a quality that he has with him. Now, obviously, not all grad transfers or even transfers in general have, have, have worked out to that level. You think of a guy like Demetrius Robertson. It's taken him a while. And really, I don't think he's ever showed the promise that he showed in his freshman year at Cal. I'll pull up a, a full screen we have here. You know, obviously, Smith isn't a graduate transfer. He's got potentially three years of eligibility. But you look at some of the names on this list. Mo Smith is obviously the standout here. Again, these are grad transfers. So that's why you don't see guys like Demetrius Robertson, like JT Daniels. But there are plenty of guys on here who did not exactly live up 
to the potential, or at least what we thought we would get out of them. Jay Hayes, Trey McKitty last year, who Trey McKitty, a third round pick by the Los Angeles Chargers, but he only had six receptions in the course of the season. You know, Jamie Newman, a guy who obviously, and we'll touch on Newman a little bit later on, but but a guy who didn't play a whole, didn't play at all in Newman's case last year. So not every transfer that comes in makes this gigantic game changing impact. Really, I would say of the guys on that list. Mo Smith is the only definite one. You could probably include Lawrence Cager there as well, though injuries, I think, really affected how much he was able to contribute to the Georgia team going forward. Now, JT Daniels proved to be a really big addition last year to Georgia, and I think this season will be an even bigger part of this Georgia team. You certainly hope so, and we'll touch a, bit, a little bit on JT here in our second segment. But the two biggest things that Georgia absolutely needs from Tyke Smith here right away are his experience, especially with that first game against Clemson. I expect Tyke Smith to be Georgia's starting star. So that hybrid nickel, you know, can be a linebacker, can be physical in the run game, sort of like Mark Webb was, and then also drop back, drop back into coverage. I, I think Georgia's going to get creative. They're going to use Adam Anderson in that spot. But Tyke Smith is going to be on the field a lot for Georgia. So they're going to need that experience, that, that game experience, playing against Oklahoma's, Texas, Iowa State's of the world, elite programs. And you know maybe you won't say Iowa State and Texas are elite programs, but they're certainly very good, and I think they're comparable, comparable to some of the teams Georgia's going to see in the SEC this season. And then the biggest thing from an actual on-field perspective is they need him to make plays in that secondary. You know, Brandon Adams has talked about this a lot on his show. You breaking up passes, forcing interceptions. Tyke Smith is absolutely going to be a guy or needs to be a guy that does that for Georgia because other than maybe Lewis Seen taking that next step, I'm not really sure right now where you can say that is comfortably going to come from with this Georgia secondary. So to wrap things up here with our first segment, Tyke Smith, he's arriving at Georgia later this later in May. They need him to bring his experience, which he's absolutely going to bring. And I think that, I don't know if leadership is maybe the right word, but he is a veteran, and you can safely call him that in that secondary. And so once he gets familiar with Georgia's defensive concepts, look for him to really, I think, be a steadying presence in the back end of the secondary. And then the second thing is just his playmaking. They need him to do what he did at West Virginia, come up with those tackles for loss, interceptions, force fumbles, those game-changing plays. Because the reality is, Nowadays, you're not going to get – you can't write a defense to a national championship. You just can't. Uh, you saw last year, Georgia, 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 I still believe, had one of the best defenses in the country against Alabama and against Florida, elite offenses. It did not matter at all. And so you need guys like Tyke Smith who can get you one or two or maybe even three extra possessions over the course of a game. That's the way defense is played now in college football, and Georgia's going to need Tyke Smith if the Georgia defense in 2021 is going to play like that. So that is our first segment of the night, talking about Tyke Smith. Again, this is Connor Riley. No questions tonight, unfortunately. I, I have to tape this a little bit early. I have a prior engagement a little bit later on, but we'll be back next Tuesday night as well, taking your questions. We'll be back all offseason. On Tuesday night, 8 p.m. here. If you're listening on the podcast on wherever you get them, Apple, Google, Spotify, SoundCloud, wherever you listen to your podcast, thanks for tuning in. We're really trying to get that up off the ground here. Getting into our second subject of the night, the all-SEC players. Uh, specifically, who from Georgia might that be? Now, I wrote a story on Dog Nation earlier today. Uh, 247 have put out a, a list of the top 10 players in the SEC going into the 2021 season. JT Daniels was number three on that list. George Pickens was number seven on that list. And there are obviously a number of players that were snubbed and you thought could have certainly belonged on that list. And so what I want to do is instead of cribbing or going directly from that and rewriting that article, look at the guys on Georgia's roster who, and we'll say preseason here, 
are going to be on those all SEC teams. And traditionally, you look at some of the past. Alabama's a team that got, when they're right and rolling, got seven or eight, nine, sometimes even ten guys on that all SEC, first team all SEC team. You know, if you're Georgia, can you get six? Can you get maybe seven all SEC players? Because they're going to start the year with, I think, at least four guys here. And I'll pull up the list of these are guys I expect in July when the all SEC teams come out. These are the names that I can comfortably say you're going to see on that list. You've got quarterback JT Daniels. Now, it could be Matt Corral there, but I think Daniels is going to be the more trendy pick, especially with what he did not turning the ball over. Matt Corral did have a lot of turnovers, specifically in losses, I believe, to LSU and Arkansas a season ago. Jamari Sawyer, they don't make you play. Put, you know, is he a tackle? Is he a guard on these lists? And I absolutely believe Sawyer is one of the five best offensive linemen in the conference right now. I'd probably put him at number three behind, obviously, Evan Neal in Alabama and then Katron Green of Texas A&M. Jordan Davis. Davis, to me, was the biggest sort of snub, so to speak, from 247's list because... Yes, he doesn't. Ha- he isn't the pass rusher right now that I think Georgia needs him to be. But in terms of a run defender, there is not a better one in college football. And Kirby Smart, we're going to play a clip here for you shortly on Jordan Davis. Talked about Davis and what he really needs, and, and this ties into him making that leap because he's absolutely a first-team All-SEC player. But what does Jordan Davis need to do to make that leap to be a top-10 player in the conference, so to speak, to be a potential all-American candidate, and this is what Kirby Smart had to say about Davis. And, and again, Kirby's given tough love to Jordan before, so don't read too much into this this, this stark commentary here because I believe this is what Kirby and, and Jordan has this relationship to where Jordan is comfortable being sort of called out, so to speak, by his head coach. You know, Jordan's done a good job. Jordan's biggest issue is conditioning and, and weight control. He knows that. He's worked really hard on that. We've got to get him to cut some more um, for him to be elite. You know, the game of football is played so differently now, and uh, there's certain games he's a much larger factor in. Some teams can try to make him a no factor when they're spraying the ball out, throwing the ball a lot, playing loose plays. Uh, it's harder for him to uh, contri- be a contributor uh, when the ball the ball game speeds up. So. It's critical that he get in the best shape of his life. Um, part of the reason he decided to come back, you know, was to be in great shape so he could create some more value. And that's that's one of the big things that he's working on. So you hear Kirby once again challenging Jordan Davis to get his weight under control. And, and that, I think, going forward, you know, in the past it had been so that he can even just get on the field because it was obviously an issue with him coming into the Georgia program. But now going forward with Jordan and his weight, he needs to have those pass rushing snaps and show that he can be an effective pass rusher to be, I think, to earn the recognition to be a top 10 player, to be an All-SEC performer, All-American, so to speak, and then eventually down the line a first-round draft pick. And so he needs those sacks and tackles for loss. And last season, now granted, he didn't miss time with an elbow injury, but he only had one sack and one tackle for loss last season. And, and he's shown flashes of him being able to pressure the quarterback. He had a sack against Florida, a sack against Cincinnati, a sack against Texas A&M in 2019 so he's shown that he's able to do it and if he gets his weight in check I think that's going to be a big key to him getting those pass rushing opportunities and then being able to show that on a more frequent basis so that you know whenever someone releases an end of season top 10 player list he's on it without a doubt one other guy here we want to highlight to sort of wrap things up preseason all first team guy Nicobe Dean uh Kristen Harris is obviously I think the top linebacker in the conference but Nicobe Dean is right there I think this guy's going to be a stud uh, I'm not sure he goes to the NFL after this year, but he could certainly have a Roquan Smith-type season. It would not surprise me. And I know he's sort of always been talked about as that kind of player, 
but he is checking all the leadership boxes. I have rarely heard Kirby Smart rave about a player this spring, especially one who isn't able to go through practice physically because of him coming off labrum surgery. But I think N'Kobe Dean is going to be an absolute stud for this Georgia defense this year, and maybe someone who is being slept on a little bit from an SEC-wide level. So moving on to our next slide here. These are guys who I think are going to be second-team All-SEC players when they get released in July. Now, I think these guys can move up, move down, depending on how things go in the 2021 season. But I think these are guys you're all going to potentially see on that second team list. Uh, at running back, I think Samir White is a guy you're going to see second team. I don't know if he gets first team. There are, there are a couple of good running backs. Kevin Harris, obviously, at South Carolina comes to mind. Jerion Ely at Ole Miss figures to be a big weapon this year for the Rebels. But Samir White, 779 rushing yards last season, 10 touchdowns, a guy that really I, I think has continued to get better and better as he gets further away from that ACL injury he suffered in his redshirt freshman season. And, you know, you think back to the spring game, he's already Georgia's best pass blocker or, or from the running back perspective. He is a capable runner, especially within the goal lines, 10 touchdowns a season ago. And really, I think what encouraged you the most coming out of that spring game with Zamir is his pass-catching ability, but even more than that, his his agility, his quickness, getting in and out of cuts, making guys miss. He showed that in the spring game. That's something he didn't necessarily show all the time a season ago. So if he continues to get healthy and get better, it wouldn't surprise me if Zamir earns potentially a first-team spot at the end of the year. But to start the year, I think Zamir is a good second-team player. Warren McClendon, offensive lineman, is your next guy. I think he's a guy, first uh, freshman All-American offensive lineman, and not the greatest recruiting profile in the world, but a really solid and steady presence there for Georgia at right tackle. I think he is someone who you are going to see on that list, especially Alabama loses a lot of their offensive line. Texas A&M loses a lot of their offensive line as well. So you're going to have to have guys to fill those slots. I think Warren McClendon is absolutely someone there. Adam Anderson and Nolan Smith are really interesting to me because the way the SEC does it, they take four defensive linemen, and three linebackers, and and, and I, Christian Harris is going to be one of those linebackers. I think Nicobe Dean is going to be one as well, so that really makes it difficult to include Anderson and Smith on there when really these guys are sort of edge rushers, I, I like to think. But these guys are both, and it's, I believe Nolan Smith got a preseason All-SEC nomination last year, so with him stepping in for Aziz Ojolari, and we'll lead with Nolan Smith here a little bit, I think he's a guy that is really going to take a step forward. I know some have been critical of him. They want to see him take that next step. He hasn't lived up to the so-called expectations of being a, a number one overall recruit, five-star prospect and whatnot. But, you know, Aziz Ojolari was in front of him playing the exact same position. And Aziz led the SEC in sacks a season ago. So I don't know how much of that you put on Nolan when you have a more experienced player in front of you that is producing. Adam Anderson, it would not surprise me at all to see him at the end of the year first-team All-SEC, a guy who could lead the league in sacks if Georgia is able to put its defense in positions where he can consistently rush the passer. I think Adam's going to have a potentially huge season, and specifically with those sack numbers, and that's a big reason why he's going to be on the second team to start the year, but I definitely think come the end of the season as a first-team guy. And then the guy we talked about off the top, Tyke Smith, as a to start the season, a second-team All-SEC player. He was a really good football player at West Virginia now. I think that might prevent him from getting on some first-team noms, but he's going to be an impact player, a guy that a lot of people like as a transfer portal player and someone that's really going to garner, I think, a lot of attention as the season goes on, especially if this Georgia secondary really starts to live up and play up to its level. And then now at this point you're probably saying, well, there are some guys that I think kind of you should have included on here. And that's why these are the potential all-SEC guys, guys that might not be on here to start the, uh, it, to start the season. Obviously when these come out in July, I don't think they'll be on there. 
But come the end of the season, I think these are guys that if things break the right way in the 2021 season for Georgia, you're going to hear their names at the end of the year. So Kendall Milton, I think, is the most obvious one. If he's able to get a more consistent workload and eat into what Zamir White has, you're probably not going to see Kendall and Zamir on those All-SEC ballots. But I think Kendall has absolutely the talent to be an All-SEC caliber running back. The question with him, obviously, is just is he going to get the touches over the course of the game to merit being first-team All-SEC? Jermaine Burton, I think this guy's a stud. I think he's going to lead Georgia in receiving this year. Obviously, George Pickens, you still don't know what you're going to see out of him this season. And I think in Pickens' absence, Burton is going to pick up a lot of the production there and have a really big sophomore season. You know, Obviously, it's a bummer that he hyperextends his knee in that spring practice, doesn't play in the spring game, but I think he's going to be a really important piece for Georgia's offense. Darnell Washington, he's not going to get more than, I would say, 35 catches this year. If he got to 30 catches this season, I think it would be a huge season for Darnell Washington. But he is a mismatch nightmare, and he's just going to flat out make plays that very few players in college football can make. And so if he makes enough of those, a la Kyle Pitts did a season ago, I'm not comparing Washington to Pitts. That's just sort of to give you a template or a frame of mind there. I think you're going to see him as an all-SEC tight end, even with guys like Jaden Weidermeyer out of Texas A&M and Jaleel Billingsley out of uh, Alabama. You know, tight end's a really good spot in the SEC right now, but Darnell Washington has as high a ceiling as anyone. That doesn't even include a guy like Arik Gilbert. We'll wrap up quickly here. Uh, Trayvon Walker, obviously his ceiling is as high as anyone. I don't expect him to be a preseason All-SEC guy, but Georgia needs him to play at an All-SEC level this year, and he certainly has the athletic capabilities to do so. And then Lewis Seen as well. You know, Alabama brings back a pretty good, I would say, secondary LSU brings back both Eli Ricks and Derek Stingley. I don't know if that's going to be enough to crack an all-SEC team for seeing at the beginning of the season, but he's a guy, if he makes those plays, if he comes up with a few interceptions, shows off that he can pressure the passer or create negative plays in the running game, I absolutely think he's going to be a, an all-SEC caliber player. So sort of wrapping things up there, you know, we got our first team, our second team, our potential guys. I think George is going to be very well represented on these lists, as they were you know, on the 247 top 10, you know, they the only team that had more was Alabama. And that sort of seems to be a continuing trend, unfortunately, for the Bulldogs. But that's our second topic for the night, talking all SEC guys and who might represent Georgia from there. And moving on to our third and final topic. This one I'm going to have a little bit of fun with. Uh, and I hope you guys just learned something from this. That's really what I'm going for here. It might come off a little lectury, but I think going forward, this would be some important things to learn as the transfer portal becomes – I think a bigger and bigger part of college football. And as we sort of saw on Sunday night, Justin Ross's name starts trending on Twitter. And I wish I had the visual for you. I just unfortunately forgot to cut it. And I'm honest with you guys. Always am. And so it's trending. And so I see this. I see a lot of people tweeting about it. I'm like, all right, well, let's go find what started all this. And I couldn't do that. And I like to think of my, you know, I'm not, I'm not a, you know, big name reporter, capital J or whatnot, but I like to think I'm pretty capable of being able to track down leads and figure out, what comes from where. And I couldn't find the start of these Justin Ross rumors that he was entering the transfer portal, that Alabama and Auburn were potential sources for him. And so naturally it's sort of just out there for the rest of the night on Twitter. And since you can't find it, nobody can really put it out until the next morning when Justin Ross comes out and tweets. Yeah. Hey, I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying here. And then Clemson football Twitter account follows that up with some of Justin Ross's best plays. And so it sort of got me thinking, this is something we're unfortunately, I just think, going to see a lot more of. And, and you see, you've already, we touched on it last week with some Georgia players, you know, Mikhail Sherman, Carson Beck, social media, rumors start circulating. And really, I, what I want to do for you guys, more so than me, 
is when you see these situations arise, what do you do so that you don't start getting too far ahead of yourself and already imagining or photoshopping, say, a Justin Ross into an Auburn jersey or a Mikhail Sherman into a Maryland jersey? There are ways, not so much to verify, but to at least keep your head on straight and say, okay, is this real? How serious is this? What does this mean going forward? And so I've got three, I think, I don't know if they're rules, so to speak, but three things that I think will really help you guys keep your wits about you when it comes to the transfer portal. And the number one rule that I have is the most important one, and that's consider the source. Consider where it is coming from. If you start, you know, for example, seeing rumors and whatnot of where guys might be entering the transfer portal, who is starting that? that chatter, that talk, so to speak. Is it coming from a message board? Is it coming from a reporter? If it's a guy like Matt Zenitz of AL.com, if it's the rival transfer portal uh, Twitter account, if it's the player themselves, then absolutely take that seriously. But if it's a random Twitter account or even one of those recruitology, CFB247, CFB Home Twitter accounts out there, proceed with caution because until you get something hard inaccurate from, I would say, a verifiable source, either a blue check or the player himself, such as Major Burns tweeting it out, or Justin Ross, if he theoretically had done so, consider the source. The number two thing, and we'll touch on why this relates to Ross specifically, think about if the potential transfer portal move makes sense. You think of a guy like Henry Toa Toa of Tennessee, why that move makes sense. Well, he entered the transfer portal because Tennessee turned over its entire football program. And Jeremy Pruitt, the guy that recruited him there, no longer there. It's a new defensive staff. He entered the transfer portal because he wanted to potentially go look and play somewhere else. A guy like Justin Ross, and yes, some people have pointed the back injury as a reason that he would consider going elsewhere. But we knew that Justin Ross was going to get his checkup in June about whether or not he was going to be able to play again. And so making this move in May doesn't make a ton of sense before him having that checkup. So consider the timing of this move and why it might make sense. You think back to a guy like Justin Fields. His move made sense when he entered the transfer portal after Georgia lost to Alabama. You know, that Sugar Bowl didn't mean anything to Georgia, and he wanted to go ahead and get to a place where he could potentially come in as early as he possibly can and win the starting job. That happened to be Ohio State, and it worked out for both sides. So the second rule Think to yourself, because again, if you're reading this stuff, if you're following Transfer Portal News online, you're probably already a pretty plugged-in football fan, at least to your specific program. So, and while you may not be an expert on Clemson football, consider, hey, does this player in the Transfer Portal at this time make sense? You know, if JT Daniel, if you start seeing rumors JT Daniels is going to enter the Transfer Portal, just think that through for a second. JT Daniels has a chance to play in an NFL-style offense that could possibly propel him to being a first-round draft pick. Right now, that doesn't make a ton of sense. A year ago, JT Daniels' transfer portal rumors made a ton of sense because he was coming off a knee injury. You had Keaton Slovis in front of him, who had a big 2019 season, and you wonder where Daniels was going to fit in that pecking order. So rule number two, think to yourself logically, does this move make sense? And then our third rule, and this is more whether or not the transfer portal rumor you see is true or not, don't let your imagination run wild. Not to quote the social network, one of my favorite movies. You know, they were saying this could be a fa- the Winklevoss twins said Facebook could be a million dollar idea. And the Harvard president basically laughed them out of the room saying, hey, don't let your imagination get the best of you. We're calling this the Jamie Newman 2.0 situation because a season ago, and it's not so much to say that or Jamie Newman transfer portal. What do you mean by that? When Newman came to Georgia, expectations got so incredibly big and high for both him and the Georgia program. 
So much so that even if he had played last season, it would have been almost impossible for him to live up to it. He, he would have had to have had a Matt Jones or a Joe Burrow type season. And the reality is, Jamie Newman, even if he comes here and plays and doesn't transfer away, I still don't know that he ends up having that season. And I think sometimes you see these transfer portal guys and they have these massive expectations placed on them and know what they could potentially do. I'll even go back to the Henry Toa Toa thing as well. Henry Toa Toa doesn't change, I believe, Alabama's championship destiny. Yes, he's a very good player and he's going to help that defense. But Alabama's title hopes this year hinge on how good Bryce Young is. Sorry about the weird ending right there, guys, for the podcast audience. I had to hop on a call with Paul Feinbaum for a second, but just wanted to wrap things up a little bit here. That was Connor and coverage, obviously a little different than we usually do it, but we'll be back again next Tuesday night, 8 p.m. on YouTube in our regular format, taking questions, comments, concerns, anything you guys want to talk about. We'll have plenty more on Georgia football as the weeks go by. Getting closer and closer to the start of the season, September 4th, right around the corner opener against Clemson. In between that, you've got Dog Nation Daily every day. You've got Before the Hedges on Wednesday night with Jeff Sintel. You've got On the Beat with Mike Griffith, who has had some killer guests in recent weeks. Dick Vitale this past Monday. Uh, JT Daniels and Richard LeCount's Mothers for a Mother's Day special. So make sure to check out all the videos we have on Dog Nation on various platforms, including Connor and Coverage, where we are every Tuesday night, 8 p.m. on YouTube. Thanks again for tuning in, guys. My name is Connor Riley, and this has been Connor and Coverage.